Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, guaranteed 100% territory talk each and every time out here on the show. And I am your host, Ray Russell, and I welcome you guys this week to a very special edition of Regional Wrestling. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by my guest co-host, Jamie Ward, for this ride, as we're going to be talking a little bit more about Georgia Championship Wrestling in 1981. But you said this was a special episode, Ray. Well, it is, guys, because instead of talking about weekly TV moving into the month of June, instead, I went back, I did a lot of dissecting, analyzing, I read a lot of books. I listened to a lot of interviews, and I came up with a lot of information that we haven't put out there yet. A lot of, you're going to hear this word a lot here on this episode, hypothesizing was done over the first five months of Georgia TV as me and Jamie broke down the changing of the guard, the changing of bookers from Robert Fuller over to Buck Robley, and now George Scott coming in. We talked about right where everything began and end for each guy in their position as booker. We also thought about why, what what were the reasons why these things, these transitions happen so quickly, so abruptly, because bookers typically last longer than two or three months. Well, hopefully we have some answers for you here today. Also did a little more diving into the world title changes. Remember Harley Race to Tommy Rich, and then Tommy Rich back to Harley Race four days later? We broke that down pretty good, I think, in the past, but even more to discuss today in regards to those world title changes. Who knew about it? Who didn't? And what was the real reason behind Tommy Rich Having that four-day world title reign, we're going to break it down today. Like I said, I've even got some audio clips here for you this week, some sound bites queued up of a couple of interviews that took place something like 15 years ago involving the Colonel Buck Robley as he broke down some of the information as to why he came in, why he was chosen to come in as Booker for Georgia, why he left, and so much more. Lots of great stuff to talk about today. But before we can get to it, just a friendly reminder that you guys can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, and our sister shows, like the Wrestling Memory Grenade. This week, finishing up the year of 1987 in the WWF, the project is complete, guys, and we welcome in the new year of 1988 beginning next week. Also listen to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, it's Raw versus Nitro, as I continue to cover the entire history of the Monday Night War, one week at a time. And last but certainly not least, It's the Wrestling Stoop podcast with the legend himself, Bob Roop, where Bob, he not only discusses his career, but also shares decades of great stories. This week, it's a pair of crazy Terry Funk stories. Imagine that. And another Puerto Rico riot story as well. And so much more. You don't want to miss it. The Wrestling Stoop with Bob Roop. You can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia podcast network. Located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met. From Apple to Spotify, Google and beyond. And be sure to follow me on social media, guys, for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. I'm constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history as well over there on my social media accounts. And you can find me on X, formerly Twitter. You can find me there at Wrestling Grenade. It's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, facebook.com 
slash wrestling grenade. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube channel, guys, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. Now more important than ever, because not only can you follow me and Roman Gomez talking about UWF, all the UWF shows being up there on my YouTube account in chronological order, but a third project coming to regional wrestling Memphis 1985. And yes, indeed, just like the UWF, you can follow along with us by looking at all of the Memphis videos. I'm going to be upping there in chronological order, not just the studio show, but the arena shows that aired out of Jackson, Tennessee. And of course, plenty of episodes, the Sunday morning show. Yes. The Jerry Lawler show coming to my YouTube. So head on over, subscribe today, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And last, but certainly not least going to talk to you about my $5 all access tier over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That address again, patreon.com slash wrestlecopia, where you get tons of gifts for just $5, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes, pages and pages of show notes for every episode of Regional Wrestling, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, and even Monday Warfare. Plus, you'll get early access to many of the podcasts here on Wrestlecopia, where you can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. From there, you get remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show, covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality, plus new content and conversation never heard before. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, guaranteed more than a dozen digital downloads every month. And I've been told by more than one patron, the digital downloads worth the $5 price alone for the all-access tier, but it still doesn't end there. You also get random bonus video drops, and of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering mini-pass WWF and WCW events. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription. Cancel anytime. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like the content that I offer, and every penny of it goes right back here into keeping the WrestleCopia Podcast Network up and running for the months and the years to come. In fact, just this past weekend, well, the old laptop was having a few issues, maybe heating up a little bit, and I had to take it in to get it repaired. And it's because of those patrons that I was able to get it repaired in a timely manner and keep putting these shows out on time. So thank you again to my current patrons, and that's why we can always use a few more. So if you can, if you have a few bucks to spare, you're looking to support that next up-and-coming podcast brand, please consider making it WrestleCopia. And now with all of that said, all of that out of the way, time to jump back into the Regional Wrestling Podcast this week. And as I said, just in a moment, we're going to bring back special guest Jamie Ward. But first, we got to cue up the music as we head back in time to talk more. 1981 Georgia Championship Wrestling. We have traveled back in time, back to the year of 1981, which means it's time to find my guest co-host here this week. Let's welcome him back, Mr. Jamie Ward. Welcome back to the program. I've been chopping at the bit for a couple weeks now. I can't wait to get rolling here, right? Uh, that's what I like to hear. Yeah, this is a very special edition. I explained it at the top of the show. 
to everyone else, and obviously, Jamie, you know as well. Basically, the focus this week, specifically, kind of a special edition, is we were talking quite a bit as we've been covering the, the year of 1981 about the, the changes in the Bookers. Of course, we know Robert Fuller took over in the fall of 80. Then, of course, he's out by February. Welcome in Buck Robley and company, the Bill Watts regime, as you, you labeled it. And then now we know George Scott on his way in here for the month of June. And so that's, you know, we, we hypothesized a lot. Why did this change? Why did that change? When did one guy take over for another? And of course, uh, also a little surprise here, Jamie, we're going to talk a little bit about those world title changes between Harley Race and Tommy Rich, because we really broke that down, I thought, but I got even more information on that as well. So going to be a fun show, I hope. All right. Hey, I can't wait to dig into this stuff. As I say, I learn new stuff every week when I'm on with you. So why would this week be any different? Yeah, well, I'm learning something new every day, every time I go online and, and start doing some research. So after I finished editing and listening to that last episode we did, there were just a lot of theories we threw out there about the change in the bookers. Why did it happen? Exactly when did it happen? Why would Buck Robley book himself in an angle on TV, knowing he was on his way out, et cetera, et cetera. We also speculated on the exact story behind the NWA world title changes I was touching on a little bit ago with you. Harley Race to Tommy Rich, and then back over to Harley Race again just four days later. And I felt like we broke that sucker down in detail from every aspect you could pretty damn good back when, when the title changes took place. But I dug a little more, and so we have even more on that as well here this week to look forward to. So I'm ready to roll if you are, Jamie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't believe there's more that we haven't heard. But let's hear it. Let's go. I don't necessarily know. Well, there's some things here that I we I know we didn't discuss, but also I, I'm not saying we didn't hear some of this, but I think it's broken down better now that I get a few perspectives. Okay. So I think we're a little bit closer to actually solving a lot of these mysteries now is the best way I can put it. I, I spent the last week doing a deep dive into multiple interviews and books and things like that, hoping to find more answers. And I don't always have time to do that kind of digging in between because I already researched, you know, this show, obviously, also UWF with Roman and other shows as well. But time was on my side this week and it was eating at me, Jamie. So I grabbed info from various places like Wildfire Tommy Rich, some some interviews he's done, the legendary referee and office worker Bobby Simmons, Cowboy Bill Watts straight from his book and some other sites, and most specifically, the colonel himself, Buck Robley, and some audio conversations he had about 15 years back. And no sooner than I did this research that I got an email from one of our listeners. William Lynn wrote in, uh, he said, Buck Robley talks extensively about what went down with Georgia and a lot of other stuff as well. Sounds like he was fired for the Tommy Rich angle. And a PS from William, he enjoys the show. So I wrote back to William. I assured him I was already on the case, Jamie. I thanked him for the input and for being a listener. So much appreciation to the listeners we have out there trying to help us uncover the truths rather than the common narratives that many fans just fall into believing, whether they're proof out there or not. Well, William, I want to say thank you on my behalf also. I appreciate you listening and, and definitely chiming in with some information that's going to help our show out. So, like I said, I, I replied back to William, but he goes on. He sent another email. He said, I've been a huge Robley mark since the Colonel's Army ran roughshod over the central states back in 1977 to 79. Now, it was never the same after he left, so says William, but he says, come on, Buck, just admit that they didn't want you on Georgia TV because your look wasn't very good. I wrote back, not very good? Eh, William, you're being polite. 
Yeah, he's being very polite on that one. <laughs> Roby looked like he um, hadn't eaten in uh, three months and hadn't had a shower in a long time. <laughs> a long time. You know, there was something that Bob Roop told me, and it's actually going to come up this week on his show. So spoiler alert, guys. He kind of mis- mentions it in passing, but apparently somewhere along the way, and I'm sure a lot of people know this, I'm sure it's in books or somewhere in the history of the annals of professional wrestling history, uh, but I didn't know it, or maybe I did and I forgot about it, but apparently somewhere along the way, Buck Robley was on the side of the road, maybe uh, relieving himself, and he was struck by a car, and the injuries from that was what kind of hurt him uh, from being a full-time wrestler, and he went on to be more of a manager in the late 70s and a booker for Bill Watts and things like that. That didn't keep him from getting back in the ring, doing a couple blade jobs, but I guess once upon a time, Robley was a little more mobile in the ring. I kind of, you know, make some sense because I didn't always get Robley when um, I saw him in Mid-South around 79 and 80 when I used to watch Mid-South on the Satellite Programming Network. And he, just the way he held himself, he always looked to me like he was injured in some manner. Yeah, very stiff in in his motions. Very stiff. Good analogy. Very stiff. That's a proper wording for it. And not the wrestling term stiff, but rather just the body looked very stiff. Yes. Okay. So uh, that brings us to here, though, Jamie. We'll talk a little bit about the abrupt change from Robert Fuller over to Buck Robley after only three months as Booker was Fuller. And from there, we'll do a deep dive into Robley's departure to Joe Blanchard's Southwest Territory and George Scott coming in here by the beginning of June. Also going to talk more about the world title changes between race and rich in just a second. But before we get going, let's explain why we talk so much about that I think you coined the term Bill Watts influence during the Robley booking run here in Georgia. Of course, Buck noted as being a part of perhaps the biggest angles in Mid-South history, the initial run of the Junkyard Dog, and of course his feud with the fabulous Freebirds back in 1980. Now, many people have credited Robley as having a brilliant mind for the business, from Jim Ross to, most recently, Bob Roop. Uh, but let's look into that term, Bill Watts influence, shall we? Because I want to explain that to everybody where Jamie came up with that. You guys see, Bill Watts was a stockholder in Georgia Championship Wrestling. He would step in and book anytime Ole Anderson or whomever was booking would take a sabbatical, jump to another territory. Watts was often the gap filler to ensure things would uh, continue to run smoothly in, his, in the absence of a full-time booker. But Bill, he could have easily been the main booker. We've said that over and over. Of course, he has his own business to run down there in the Mid-South Territory at this point. But Watts had been in and out of the Georgia office going all the way back to the Ann Gunkel War. God, can you imagine the names that he had for her? Oh. <laughs> none, none of which we could probably I, say yeah, you know, here, uh, on the, on the show. Them, <laughs> Some of those words probably don't, probably don't even exist anymore. I can only imagine. But <laughs> any, any, any Well, the Cowboy did have his own... Well, he does. I mean, he's still with us, but he had his own vernacular. He sure did. I'm still trying to figure out who Kat Zabulis was in the Mid-South Territory. But uh, anywho, in regards to the failed experiment of Robert Fuller in the, as Georgia Booker, wrestling referee, longtime referee, uh, longtime veteran of the mat uh, as a referee, Bobby Simmons also worked back in the office quite a bit. He stated that Robert Fuller, he said, I love Robert Fuller, but I think Robert was a little overwhelmed with booking Georgia. Booking Atlanta was very different than booking anywhere else because of the TV. The cable TV, it was so strong, and you had to be careful how you booked it and what you did with it. And you know, I just think Robert, yeah, he was a little overwhelmed. 
He was not very successful as a booker here. He brought in Plowboy Frazier. Him and Robert teamed up, and they were in the main events. People just didn't buy it. And not necessarily Robert's fault, because he was a good booker elsewhere, but I think he was just, again, overwhelmed. Using the term overwhelmed three times, Robert Fuller, well, we, we talked about that way back when. I mean, what do you think in bringing the Plowboy in as your main event? This is not Memphis, and even then, it was pretty risky trying to use Frazier in that main event scene. I think you just kind of hit on something there. He was trying to turn Georgia in a certain way into Memphis. Either that or Gulf Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Or, I mean, I or Gulf that. Coast, Southeastern, you know, trying to squeeze that into uh, Georgia and get away with get away from what they were doing. Did we say he replaced Ole? I think wasn't Watts booking. That was when Watts uh, did the uh, the deal with Dusty. They fought the Andersons back in the end of the summer after the big turn. I don't, you know, I don't remember at this point. You could be right. It could have been Ole. No, no, no. You, you may be right there. It, I think it was Ole, and then Ole turns it over to Watts right after the um, the Ole Lars feud, and then I think Watts takes over for a month or so before handing it over. That, it's all come back to me before handing it over. Well, to, that would uh, make that would explain how the Freebirds got there right around that time. And then, right, exactly. Of course, we know Fuller takes over in the middle of November, and things just they completely change. Austin Idol disappears. Kevin Sullivan turns heel. Of course, the Freebirds fly high, pun intended. But uh, now, as for Fuller's successor here, Bobby Simmons goes on to talk about Buck Robley as we come back to February. This is when Fuller leaves the territory abruptly. So Buck Robley uh, coming in and taking over. Simmons said about Buck Robley, he says, same thing as Fuller. I think Buck was a little... He made so much money as Watts' booker in Oklahoma, and he thought he could come in here in Georgia and everything would be the same. But this was a rare breed of animal here, and just neither of them, Fuller or, or Robley, lasted very long. And I, I guess he's saying here, Jamie, that they couldn't fully adapt to the what you needed to do for cable TV. Uh, Fuller from booking and Buck Robley with what you know what he what can and can't fly on television. I, I mean, I know we're saying Robley is the booker, but is he basically just a booker in name here? And Watts is no. really. No, but, the information. No, definitely not based on what we're going to get to here in a little bit. But okay. no, Watts probably gave him some, you know, th- some things. And I'm, I'm sure Watts was on the phone with the birds or DiBiase or whoever, you know, throughout the, the course of this thing and maybe passing some ideas along. But overall, it was Buck Robley uh, apparently doing the book. OK, so this is all new information for me. This is great because I had always heard and especially watching all this stuff over again. I just see the Cowboys fingerprints all over the stuff. And, you know, that that could be confusing, too, because a lot of this stuff, Buck Robley was booking the Mid-South when it was happening as well, but Cowboy was promoting. So they were probably both had a, a lot to do with it. So, I, you know, it kind of bleeds over here. But Robley was always, you know, given credit as a mastermind when it came to psychology of booking. I know, okay. he, doesn't, I know he doesn't look like much, <laughs> you know, but uh, I can't doubt, you know, guys like Jim Ross and Bob Root putting him over based on their experience being around him in that Mid-South territory and other well, places. Well, I, I, I know Robley... I'm not trying to sell him short. No. I mean, I knew he, he knew his stuff. Right. I mean, if you want to jump five years later to, uh, what was that promotion, All South? And he was there. I don't know if that was Gunkel's promotion. Or not. No, I'm the, I, I know, what, I know which promotion or you're talking about. The one, the one. It's the one right around 87, 88. And he's there feuding with the Assassin. And they had a nice program going on. 
Yeah, you know, I know which one you're talking about. I can't remember the name of that one. That was later on. I was thinking about the one where he had Wrestling 2 come in. That was a little earlier than 87, though. might have been 84, 85, something like that, the one I was thinking so th of. There's been a lot of definitely, them. Yeah, this was definitely later on because it was on uh, Joe Pettacino's Yes, I, I have some Sneak. of that. Is that what it was called? Uh, well, the, the big the big TV block or the or, or the Pro Wrestling This Week show? Like, the the like, show was Pro Wrestling This Week. Okay, right, yeah. And they, they had the big block on a what was Atlanta television, right? I used to get right. tapes up every now and then. Yeah, what a salesman. Joe Pettacino got himself Bonnie Blackstone. Still can't figure that one out. He outkicked the coverage. I guess so. So we'll, we'll hold it right there, talking about the bookers just for a minute, because I don't want to okay. leave the Bobby Simmons okay. stuff. Because he also, Sorry, I mean, no, you're great, man. You're doing great. No, I'm not cutting you off. I'm saying I'm telling the people where we're going right now. So we're going to hold the booking stories in place for the moment because I have all this Bobby Simmons stuff in front of me. So right now we're going to pivot over for the moment to the world title changes we recently saw from Harley Race to Tommy Rich and back. Of course, we've heard the stories out there. Uh, we went through all of the various stories and we even hypothesized what we thought the situation may have been. Uh, but Bobby Simmons wrote about those world title changes. He said, because he was in the office, you guys have to remember, he said, those were shoot. They were meant to happen. I would send out a telegram to every wrestling office in the NWA roster as soon as the title changed hands to let them know what happened so they could legitimately tell their people, put it in their arena programs, however they wanted to handle it, that the title had changed hands. That's the reason I knew about it before it did. I sat at home that night until promoter Charlie Harbin called me. He called Jim Barnett from Augusta. Jim called me at home, and I sat there and sent telegrams to every office, every NWA office. So we were the three people that knew about it. Nobody else knew outside of Harley Race. And of course, Tommy Rich, he didn't even know about it until he got to the building that night that he was winning the title. So Rich worked with the title Tuesday night in Macon. He worked with it Wednesday night against Harley again. He wrestled Harley every night that week. We covered the house show results. He wrestled in Columbus. He wrestled Thursday night. He says he wants to say Rome, Georgia, which I believe is accurate. He says it also could have been Athens. He wasn't sure. And Friday night, he wrestled in Gainesville at the Civic Center. He claims it would only hold 350 people if they were hanging from the rafters, Jamie. And, of course, Rich dropping the title back to Harley in Gainesville. Big picture, NWA. Could, the, the other NWA promoters couldn't have been very happy with the, with the change in the 350-person arena. Well, you know, I saw something. We talked about the innuendo. You know what I'm talking about, so we're not going to jump yes. back into that here. But I saw somebody post something recently on one of my Facebook posts in regards to the Georgia territory, and he stated, you know, this is another misconception that's out there that I don't know that we covered. Maybe we did. But he said that, um, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. That was Harley going into business for himself because he was offered more money that night. And uh, that's simply not the fact, according to what I'm reading here, uh, because Simmons goes on. He said, I sat here. I sat at home Friday night until I got the phone call again. I sent another telegram to every office in the NWA roster that Harley Race had regained the World Heavyweight title. So that's the way it worked. That's the way it went down. And you know, all these names started flying around, and it was people in innuendo, says Simmons. But the title change was simply done to make Tommy Rich legitimate in the eyes of other promoters and other fans in other territories and he never appeared on Atlanta TV with that belt. Uh, Simmons concludes, he says, as a matter of fact, Tommy never even appeared on any TV with that title belt. He simply held it for four days, then he lost it, and that was the end of it. So Simmons basically saying, which I'm going to go on about here in just a minute, but basically it was done. Jim Barnett wanted it done to get Tommy Rich over because they wanted to book him out to all these other territories because he was on cable. 
that makes sense for uh, Barnett, but we still don't know the answer. Well, I guess we do, that it, only those three people, individuals, knew the title change was coming. Are they supposed to be allowed to do that under NWA rules? Well, we know the Crockett part, that he flew back in a huff. So I'm assuming it wasn't okayed outside of the people involved, but the, the people involved, you know, went ahead and did it and did it. And uh, I don't know, you know, can you really go against Jim Barnett in the short term anyway? It didn't really hurt much. No, it didn't hurt much, but it had to ruffle some feathers. Oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. But basically, so, I mean, they, they say it was done simply because Jim Barnett, he wanted to make Tommy Rich a credible world champion caliber star as they had plans to book Tommy out to all the other territories based on his exposure on TBS and cable. I guess making Tommy kind of like a, a traveling gimmick of sorts, like a Dusty Rhodes or an Andre the Giant, if you will. I know it sounds kind of crazy to some people who don't really get the Tommy Rich phenomenon, but even Tommy, I, I listened to one of his interviews and he never really puts himself over. I don't know if you've ever listened to a Tommy promo he, or an interview. He just kind of talks about facts and the way things were. And he said that was, he too agreed that that's why this was done because they did start sending him out. He went out and worked a, a Superdome card for Bill Watts. He kind of shit on the payday. He, he got paid maybe, I think it was 250, 300 bucks to, for the fourth match down from the top on the, on the Superdome card. And he said he drew, you know, far less people here in Georgia and, and made a whole lot more. So he told, you know, the promoters in Georgia, Hey, don't send me over here to go make a couple hundred bucks when there's, you know, 15,000 people, when I can come out here in front of 300 people and make 10 times that much. I, I know he went to Houston and he did a San Antonio shot. Yeah. He also said Sheik. Uh, I don't know that he was trying to bring the territory back, but Sheik uh, ran a Detroit show with, you know, a bunch of nobodies underneath and then, you know, maybe some uh, chic, the people that were still laying around there, the bug and guys like that. But he said they were the only headliners on the show, Sheik versus Tommy Rich. He said he drew very well. He didn't really go into the pay there. Maybe it was okay, I guess. But he was just naming a couple of territories that they did try to book him out to after the, the world title run. Yeah, I think Tommy very well could have fallen into that attraction Status. I mean, he did thanks an to MSG. the cable. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks to the cable. I mean, he did an MSG shot, but I mean that wasn't uncommon. But during that time, he did the MSG shot. Idol had just done one, right. and um, just saw a picture uh, of that. I don't remember who posted that. I just saw a picture I, of Idol in Steve the garden. O, the other. Mr. Personality himself did a did a one off also <laughs> in the garden. I don't remember that. Oh yeah, I do. Now I, I do. I'm, <laughs> You're I'm right. pretty sure he did. I, I'm pretty I'm, sure he did too. Yeah, I'm just going off memory there. You know, Tommy was uh, based on Georgia. He should have gotten uh, sent out. I mean, he did a little Jim Crockett stuff, too, at the time, but he never really got over in Crockettville. Yeah, there were certain guys that just transcended being in one territory. Of course, Andre, just another level, but I'm talking like Dusty Rhodes and, and even Junkyard Dog, who, you know, went out and did a couple shots here, a couple shots there, because he was just so big in the Mid-South Territory that you really couldn't hold him down. He was going to get over anywhere he went. So, yeah, I remember uh, him showing up in Crockett in early 84. Did a little job. Yeah, absolutely. He sure did. So, yeah, Dog was a little bit everywhere. But back to Tommy Rich real quick before I know somebody out there is going to say, oh, yeah, Tommy did appear on TV with the belt. And technically he did, but I believe it was on the best of show on Sunday. Yeah, there's that picture out there from the best of show. There's a whole video. I've seen the the interview with him and Freddie Miller. Don't know how I couldn't didn't find that when we were going through there. I wish I'm gonna have to go back and try to find that. I like to put that up on my YouTube. <clears throat> Maybe I'm sure it's out there somewhere on YouTube it, already. It, it definitely is. I 
unlike last week where I thought he was uh, made a run in, I know 100% I saw Tommy Rich. Well, I've seen the screen cap, so I knew there was interview. a promo out there. I'm just reading what Bobby Simmons said. I mean, overall, okay. outside of that one comment, I, he's pretty much accurate, dead on. Everything makes sense. So uh, I tend to believe most of what he's saying there. And it, it is 35, 40, however many years it's been since this thing. At least 20, probably. So you can't remember every little detail right, from the time. So pretty much every version of the Robert Fuller switch out as Booker goes the same. The houses were at their lowest. It wasn't working out. He wanted to focus on tag team main events with himself in there. He thought Plowboy Frazier was the initial answer for the main event scene. He was killing the towns. He was overwhelmed trying to book a technically national wrestling promotion, etc., and so they go with the Cowboy looking for a new booker. They go to Bill Watts. They say, Bill, we need another booker to come in here. But Bill is busy. He has his hands full with Mid-South. So he recommends a guy who booked big money in the Mid-South territory, that being the Colonel, Buck Robley, to come in and book with uh, slight assistance from Watts here. But the one thing that Watts told Robley, here we go, before he could take the job in Georgia, what the one edict was that Buck could not book himself on the shows. Robley was not allowed to be an on-air talent. Probably a good move on the Cowboys' part because how many bookers have we seen just take over and you knew they shouldn't be in that top spot? Right, and that's what I was you know, going to say next. Bill Watts, he did that often because sometimes his bookers would be, you know, begin trying to get themselves over rather than focus on the product as a whole. Now, I recall the story Bill told one time of Bill Dundee when he first came in. And started booking, you know, he finally let Bill get on TV and Bill booked himself, I guess, as Watts called it, as Superman. So he took him back off the TV pretty quickly. And we don't see Bill for quite a long time again on television there in the Mid-South. But in this instance, Robley, he wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing guy on the eyes either. No, as I said earlier, he, but my mom would have said about Buck Robley, that man needs a good bath. <laughs> Bowling shoe ugly, folks. Just saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll stop there as far as what others have said about the changing of the book from Fuller to Robley. And now we're going to have a little fun, Jamie, because we're going to look into the end of the Robley run, which brought us George Scott. And to do this, I've grabbed a, a few brief sound bites from a couple of audio interviews that Buck Robley did maybe 15 years ago, maybe a little longer. Uh, he's been gone 10 years now, which is just, wow, where does time go? But we're going back. And remember, Buck, while a brilliant booker and a master of psychology, he was known to be a little carny, to be polite, Jamie. So this is sort of like panning for gold. Uh, we have to sort through the muck to get to the little gems or the truth in this instance. Uh, there's a lot of facts here, though. Don't, don't get me wrong. But there's also some, mm, probably some embellishments. Uh, but I think on the other side, on the other end of this, we'll have a better idea of at least some of what was really going on back in May of 1981. Yeah, it's probably just going to be like listening to a, a Ric Flair shoot interview. Somewhere in there, the, the truth lied. <laughs> or laid, however, however you wanted to say it. Somewhere in there, it, it is the truth. This isn't English class or language arts, as they call it now, at least up here. So <laughs> you're totally cool with me. Uh, so here we go back, guys. Again, these snippets taken from a pair of interviews originally conducted by Gary Cubetta on his 57 Talk program. Now, I attempted to try and locate Mr. Cubetta before this program, but I was unable to. I did notice these full interviews, though, are out there on YouTube. But I wanted to give credit where credit is due here, Jamie. And again, 
These are heavily edited down to just the important parts of the conversation. So away we go with the Buck Robley interview with Gary Cubetta. Again, just a few snippets here, but we're going to try to break down everything from Robley coming in to Robley's exit from the company. And away we go. Soundbite number one, guys. It's Buck Robley talking about coming in as the booker for the Georgia Territory. Here's Buck. I might have got eight weeks in. I'm not sure how many weeks I booked over there. Like I said, it was uh, they give me a figure of twelve thousand five hundred. The last house that Fuller did it in the Omni. I like I said, what I took over there wasn't much there. I built what I could build. I shot a little angle with a guy named Don Carson, and then Dusty Rhodes. Don Carson come to me and he says, "Buck, I'm I'm leaving." He's going somewhere, just got newly married, and needs to make a little payday. I said, look, do me this little angle with Dusty. That angle drew 35000 Only left and gone to Charlotte. He, he, he went up there. He called me, just asked me, don't kill the towns. I said, don't kill the towns, Only. I said, you didn't come back here to take it because you knew the place was dead. I'm building something. So Fuller's last Omni house was apparently dreadful, and that's what I've heard for years. Ted DiBiase said that repeatedly. The towns were half dead by this point, according to many sources. Someone needed to come in and fix what Robert Fuller had done. Uh, and as a bonus here, we, we also learn where the Don Carson-Dusty Rhodes match apparently came from, which was fun. Yeah, that was a good little thing, uh, that little feud with Don. and uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. That's where Don calls him Fat Boy. That's right. He sure oh, does. Uh, <laughs> Almost forgot about that. It was obvious also that Fuller was keeping Ted DiBiase down. Right. And DiBiase or, had I, some I things we, to say we, about we that. Might, we might hit this here, but that's part of the reason the towns were down, because it, here was that fresh face coming into the territory, yeah. and Fuller buried him with himself. And I think I said it last time, take a look at DiBiase's interview style from the time he came in with Fuller to the time... He's about to get that final uh, cage match, him and Tommy against the Freebirds. It doesn't end up happening. Totally different wrestler at that point. Right. Once he gets under Robley now, here I was under the impression it was under the Cowboy, but he gets under Robley and he is enabled to take off from that point on. So, like, that was really cool, that little story. I mean, that he recalled this, that he knew Don Carson and Dusty worked that show, and it was really just Don Carson asking for a pretty solid payday on the way out of the territory. Don and Robley had crossed paths many times in, in the 1970s, so did him a little solid there. That was pretty cool. But like you said, when DiBiase came in, he was very subdued. He wasn't reading a script, but it just felt like he was just reading something off of a piece of paper. No emotion in those promos. But you're right, that did change when we changed Booker's. And that was part of the reason that the the houses started picking up. I mean, that whole period that Booker Booker that Fuller is booking. Now that you look back and you know that they weren't drawn well, you can fully understand why they weren't drawn well. Right. So we move on to soundbite number two here. Up next, Buck Robley talks getting screwed on a house show pay at the Omni and giving notice. So when I do that house with. With Dusty Rhodes and Don Carson, they turned in 35000 at the Omni. Well, I wasn't happy. I said, I've been here. I know bigger houses. I've been in this Omni. I know what a damn house looks like. You owe me an explanation. So here's how they get out of it. Jim Barnett goes back and puts the, 
the heat on one of the Ward kids, the Ward's son-in-law, that he stole the money. And they finally admitted to me there was a bigger house than 35000 I told Barnett right then and there, look, I said, I've had to deal with Ric Flair. I've had to deal with Jim Crockett. They, at that time, Crockett was the NWA. They sent Flair down. They wanted him on the TV all the time. They wanted him to get all the exposure. They sent him down there one Sunday and told him he was going to be the world champion. I had to tell him, look, there's no belt changing here, Rick. The Crockett's lied to you. Ole Anderson lied to you. Look, you can talk to Harley when he gets in. There's no belt exchange. The best I can do for you is an hour. You can do an hour with him. I don't care how many hours you've done with him. I don't need you guys. After putting up with all this crap with all the other people, they admitted to me they stole from me. I give the notice. I said, that's it. Barnett, I said, this is it. You got two weeks. He got on a conference call with Watts, Graham, whoever else owned part of his territory, maybe Ole Anderson. I have no idea. It didn't bother me what he did. I'd already uh, made uh, plans to go to San Antonio. I'd already called Joe Branch and said, look, uh, I'm leaving and I'm I'm coming out to San Antonio. He said, great, love to have you. So the promoters blamed Fred Ward's son-in-law, Fred Ward being one of the Georgia promoters, for stealing money from the Carson Dusty card at the Omni. Buck explains to us, I was always wondering how that kind of came out of nowhere, why Ric Flair randomly popped up and got that world title shot against Harley Race at the Omni just you know, several weeks ago now, but apparently Flair came down expecting a title change at some point, and that might explain why it felt like they were building to that on TV. It sure did. I mean, he was there four straight Saturdays, and he was basically the, a face store news interviews, and, I, you know, it was shaping up that he was going to take the belt, and it's really funny that he wrestles a race in the Omni, and then the next night, Tommy Rich wins the belt. Yeah, and then you don't hear from Ric Flair or see him again on Georgia TV at this point. Right, no mention of Flair at all until, what, um, September again? Yeah, it's, it's going right. to be a while. Yeah, right before he wins the belt. We'll, we'll t- right, yep. So, obviously, uh, Robley then gives his notice, he says, shortly after all of this, all of the politics, all of the money issues. The promoters admit to him that the money had been stolen, and they couldn't do anything about it. They weren't going to pay him anything more. So he says he's off to San Antonio to go work for Southwest and Joe Blanchard. I mean, again, he can't remember all the details, but he was, or at least what I thought was Bill Watts at the time, had a good 10-week run, 10- to 12-week run, and that Dusty Rhodes thing was in the very beginning. Yes. So He basically made it it sound like that was his first big show when he came in. it, It took him that long to find out that, you know, they had skimmed off the top on him. Well, I mean, I don't know. The way he, the way the, the interview went, it sounded like it was a bunch of things that piled up, it, like the Ric Flair situation. There was a lot of politicking. They were trying to force Crockett was the was the NWA, as he said there. They're trying to force their people down there on his TV, and he, he responds, I don't need those people. I don't want those people on my TV. I'm trying to build people that are here. So I, I that's the way I took it anyway. Okay. So I think it was just no a argument. lot of things. But I, no, no, I think there was just a lot of things, but... Yeah, the, the money issue seemed like the, the main issue, according to him, anyway. Uh, but we're going to go on, and I got another soundbite here from there. Robley explains his reasoning for putting himself on TV, as well as that popularity of wildfire Tommy Rich. So it left me without nobody. So I said, well, here's what I need to do this Saturday. 
I need to get myself on this TV. So now I'm going to get myself over. I was to that point where I was supposed to work TV or not. So after I had to let this guy go, I didn't have anybody to work. So I got Tommy Rich. Tommy Rich was Jim Barnett's band. Whatever Tommy wanted, Jim Barnett made sure Tommy Rich got. He was well taken care of, paid big dollars. Tommy was popular with the girls. He was young. Uh, he could fly around the ring. He was a good little worker, you know. Not a great interviewer, but he was good for looks and teeny teeny bobby girls, you know. So I told Tommy Rich, I said, look, this first hour, I'm going to go out in the ring with you, and I'm going to work with you, and I'm going to put you over. I said, this second hour belongs to me. I'm going to book myself back with you on this second hour, and I'm going to get myself over. So the first hour went on. I went out there. Nobody knew me. So I go out there, and I put Tommy Rich over. One, two, three. I forgot what Tommy did. Some spectacular thing. Man, Gordon Soley tried to build just a little with me because he didn't know how to handle it because he knew I wasn't supposed to be on TV. Gordon was uh, Barnett's man, Eddie Graham's man. In between tapings, he would call Barnett if he could reach him, or he would call Eddie Graham or maybe Bill Watts to let him know how I was doing. They just wanted me to be an office boy. Now remember, Buck came into Georgia, Jamie, under the edict that he couldn't put himself on TV. In his words, they just wanted him to be an office boy. He then talks the episode we just discussed on the last episode of Regional Wrestling, hour number one, Buck Robley randomly arrives as a bounty hunter to take on Tommy Rich, puts Tommy over, middle of the ring, one, two, three, and of course, hour number two, time to put Buck Robley over. On his last week of TV, uh, perhaps for a little leverage, I would have to think. Yeah, so evidently it wasn't what we were thinking at the time where he was trying to um, involve himself in something where George Scott couldn't get rid of him. Yeah, and I still don't know that to be 100% because he doesn't come out and say that, but it just, man, it still feels like that when we get to the end of this. But I, I, I do agree with you that, but it's, he wanted to get himself over on cable TV. Maybe he was just doing it because he knew he was, he was going somewhere else. And he, hey, people are going to see me on cable. When I show up somewhere else, I'm going to be over. And that doesn't hurt at all if you're Buck Rivoli or anybody making an appearance on TBS at that time, you know, help promote your brand. And hey, it, it's not like they can fire him, right? Right. He's on his way out the door. So right. he puts what, in his, what's he really care at this time? Right. He puts in his two-week notice, which would have been, I guess, the week prior to the Tommy Rich taping, because he was technically supposed to finish up the week after the Tommy Rich situation. As right now, we're going to go back once more to the Colonel Buck Robley here, talking hour number two of that epic episode and the attack on Tommy Rich, Gordon Soley's reaction, and knowing the Omnicard, he knew it all along, Jamie, that the Omnicard was going to change. So I did the two weeks, and that last week I did that on TV. I'd already booked the Omni. I booked it one way, knowing I was going to change it. I was going to go to Brody, Brody and Abdullah. I'd already told them, look, I'm going to show you the power of this TV. I booked a match with somebody else, knowing the second week of TV, when I broke this news, I said, you guys watch what I can do. So then I did that second TV, and I took that Tommy Rich out there on TBS, and I beat him. 
I had him gig himself where he had never gigged himself, above the eye, the chest, the arm. I tore his clothes off. I hammered it. Nobody's ever beat Tommy Rich on TV like Buck Robley beat Tommy Rich. Gordon Soley went nuts. He come in the production room after that hour was over, and he said, this show is not going to air. You you can air the first hour. I said, Gordon, get your ass out of here. I run this. This show is going down. You're going to air it, and I'll accept the responsibility. So this is how I started the turmoil. I knew I was going to hear from it. This show aired across country that Saturday evening. So I'm sitting in my apartment in Atlanta. I watched it. I thought it was a great hour. I, I forgot what else was on there. I had the junkyard dog, the Freebirds, DiBiase on there. I'm at my apartment. I get phone calls. Talent is calling. Wrestlers are calling. They can see this. Buck Robley, you didn't do that. Buck Robley. I said, listen, if you saw it on TVS, Buck Robley did it. So, <laughs> Buck knows he's leaving the territory. He mentions his plans to alter the Omnicard last minute on the way out, and then shooting what was meant to be a segment of hour number two, where, as you mentioned, he definitely cut up Tommy Rich. I missed that. And apparently Tommy gigged so much and so badly that it was clearly heavily edited out of the final product that aired. It becomes a promo instead of Ted DiBiase featuring that attack on a VTR. And you pointed it out, Ted holding Rich's bloody drenched shirt. Right. And yet, I don't remember him getting cut on the arm and chest. I mean, I... No, I, and I again, think I, I, think I said, I said, I said embellishments. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Because Tommy was looking at Ted rolls over, and you could tell Tommy's doing a gig job on his forehead. Right. But I, I don't remember, you know, the chest and the arm. But, hey, Buck was on his way out. So he's going to say whatever, you know, he wanted to. And since he knew that was his fond farewell, I mean, he had JYD on the show. Yeah. He had the Freebirds against JYD and DiBiase on there. And that's also the, the Ernie Ladd paradox, or Ernie Ladd paradox, rather. <laughs> Where he brings Ernie in out of nowhere for one week. He was going to face JYD and beats up poor uh, Ted Oates instead. So he knew he was going out with a bag. Yeah, his plan was to get himself over. He thought he was the answer. That was that was where the ratings were at, was Buck Robley and Gordon Soley going nuts. Now, we could picture that. I'm pretty sure you can picture that along with me, Jamie. Gordon Soley demanding that our number two not be aired. Ah, uh-uh, no, sir. No way. We will not have that here. He wanted to replay our number one again. And more on that in just a minute, more on Gordon Soley. But it goes on as planned. And as we saw, it did make error. And according to Buck... Promoters and wrestlers alike were astonished. Now, I think he, you know, oversold that as well. I can't believe you attacked him. We've seen the footage. It's not really that crazy. No, and and we probably saw worse before that. Nothing's jumping out to me, but we've seen worse. I mean, look at the uh, DiBiase pile driver incident. While he doesn't do a blade job there, still four pile drivers. Oh, my God, yeah. That That was a lot worse. And that was Buck's idea. I mean, Buck comes in, the changes in early March. The Dusty Rhodes-Don Carson thing is in early April. And now we're to the last week of May, and Roby's saying bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, 
we've seen the segment. I didn't even catch the blood. I, mean, I don't even know if they actually show it. You said you saw him gig, and I totally believe that. You pointed out that shirt. I went back and saw, and Robley said, I ripped his shirt off, blah, blah, blah. So all of that seems to be confirmed, but wrestlers calling in and, or calling him to say, I can't believe you did that. Now, I could see the cowboy calling him and saying, I can't believe you did that. What the fuck were you doing on TV? I told you, you know, and, and a lot more expletives that I won't continue on here as I pretend to be the cowboy, but. <laughs> you know, I could see someone like that asking you, what the hell do you think you're doing? But outside of that, I think, I think it was a little oversold, but still, I mean, it did happen and he clearly did book it. We didn't argue. That was never an argument. We knew, we knew that he was the one that booked that. Well, Gordon must've got his way a little bit because we never got to see the, the blood of Tommy Rich. You know, sure, live so, somebody TV. got a phone we, call. We right. We, we only got to see the shirt with Diviasi in his hand. Well, the way Buck explained it was, it wasn't meant to be a VTR. It wasn't meant to be Ted DiBiase doing a promo and then cutting to something. It was supposed to be an actual segment on the show. So you're right. Somebody made a phone call, Gordon, and he probably maybe called Jim Barnett. I'm not sure whoever was involved in the editing anyway. He, somebody made a power play and, and probably did something with it, but it still went on. We, we, it made air to some degree. I guess, uh, well, we did find out the answer that Barnett and Robley never really got along. Speaking of, you know, Gordon Sully, I don't want to, you know, take away from anything else talking about people not getting along. But as I said, Buck Robley, he did multiple interviews, at least seven or eight of them with Gary Cubetta talking all about different things throughout his career, specifically booking, really. And this specific audio clip that's coming up next, it comes from a separate interview that he did. Most of these come from one interview. This comes from another one. It further elaborates on the fallout of the Tommy Rich attack by Robley, most specifically Gordon Soley's response. He went nuts. He, he could not believe that something like this was going down on TBS, nationwide TV, prime time on a Saturday afternoon when I put that whipping on him. He run back into the control room. He was screaming to production, you cannot air this second hour. This is not right. No man could come on here and rule the TV where they Buck Wobley did. He was calling Eddie Graham. He was calling Barnett. Anybody he could get, he wanted to play the first hour over. I said, I run the show. He didn't have that much control, but he had. He would always let Barnett know how the show went. He would tell Barnett it was a great show, mediocre. Buck didn't like it. You know, he had, he always reported back to somebody. The whole thing was they wanted to know what I was doing all the time. Again, panning for gold here, Jamie. Now, I don't know how much of this was the... And, and again, the blade job, the, the actual bleeding was edited out. So I'm sure some of it was that. But I wonder how much of this was also Gordon Soley. Roby's already mentioned that Soley knew he wasn't allowed on TV. Wasn't supposed to be an on-air talent. And so I wonder how much of this was... So Well, although the match went down an hour one and... Gordon didn't seem to have a problem with that, but I was just hypothesizing, you know, you can, we talk so much about Gordon being, you know, set in his ways. He doesn't like Brody being behind him. He doesn't like the way certain people cut him off. We've talked about that for months now here on the show, but I just have to laugh every time I, I, I picture Gordon going, you know, getting irate. He talks about Gordon going nuts uh, after the blade job. Uh, supposedly it was that bloody solely demands production not to air the segment but Robley was in control. He had the ultimate say over what went over the airwaves. Clearly, there wasn't enough shown to make it this big of a deal in that final product that we saw. But obviously, I have to think Gordon also a little shocked, as I said, no doubt that Robley just appeared on TV out of nowhere. To me, when I watched it, Gordon had come across as 
upset to me any more than he does to any other angle that they shot. But I guess that's just because Gordon is was the professional that he was. Um, I, I've heard before about Gordon getting upset about certain things. But here I just can't see. He, he knows Robley's on his way out, so I don't see what Gordon really uh, was bothered about, except for we can't have blood like that on TV, which kind of makes sense. Right. Well, I mean, Robley's pretty adamant about this. Uh, so I'm thinking there was some of this with the Gordon thing. I'm not saying specifically what upset him. Was it that Robley was on TV when he shouldn't have been? Was it because he knew Robley was leaving and he was booking himself in a situation like this? I mean, Gordon been around long enough to know that doesn't make sense. A booker getting himself over on the way out. Or was it just the blood? It could have been a little bit of all of the above, but I can, as much as we've talked about already, I can see Gordon flipping out about something here. Yeah, maybe Gordon and Robley have never gotten along either. Oh, that's very possible. I, I'm not going to say who, but somebody in the know that had been around Gordon quite a bit, uh, you know, a lot of people just kind of stayed steered clear of Gordon. And, and okay. I'll leave it there. <laughs> well, again, I only met... Gordon twice, and I thought he was a hell of a nice guy. I I would love to have met him. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying anything derogative about him. I'm just saying, in in the business sense, some people just tried to, you know, maneuver around Gordon unless they had to work with him. Right. Okay. So, I just haven't seen that many people in books and things that I've read rip into Gordon too much. Right. I get you. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a respect there that goes along with that. Uh, we got a couple more sound bites though, Jamie, and we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, from there, uh, Roby talks about the fallout after the angle makes air. So I didn't hear nothing from promotion, nothing from Barnett, nothing from anybody. And I want to show you how the, how business is. So now, later in the evening, who calls me? Buckles, my boy, Jim Barnett. Oh. Buckles, my boy. Fantastic TV. What a creation. What a mind. My God. I've never seen anything like this. I said, Jim, it's just the start. But I'm leaving, remember? I'm leaving. I already gave you my notice. And I really hurt him when I reminded him of that. I did it because I had to get over. If I was going to stay there... And there was a chance I could have stayed. I could have reneged on those two-week notice I give them. And they tried. Don't get me wrong. Barnett tried. Wonder what he could pay me more to stay after that. But I'd already made my mind up, and I give Joe Blanchard my word. So when Bill Watts comes over, and he says, look, you can't go to TV, he says, what, what do you want to do? I said, you change the main event, Bill. You put uh, Abdullah against Bruiser Brody. I said, the people have been waiting for it. They're both over. I says, I guarantee you ticket sales. And when we went on that TBS and announced that, that we're going to put Bruiser Brody against Abdullah, ticket sales took off. Now, now, if I'm buying from TBS, but I can go to the Omni and run the Omni that last night that I was there. Now, you get that. I couldn't go to TV, but nobody could control Brody and Abdullah but Buck Robley. They gave me permission to go to the Omni, put the finish together, run that show that night. Now, what does that tell you? So, to be clear here, that last episode of TV that we covered was May the 30th. Uh, was apparently not George Scott's first episode, as we thought it was, Jamie, but rather Bill Watts was actually brought in that specific weekend to oversee the TV because Robley was no longer permitted at television because God knows what he would have booked himself doing that week. 
Uh, so Robley was asked to oversee the Omni show, however, because per his story anyway, he was the only one there who could control Abdullah and Bruiser Brody. And they were Robley's boys, don't get me wrong, especially Bruiser Brody. They they went hand in hand. Even Bob Roops uh, told me a few things. So that's probably semi-true. They wanted him there, so maybe Brody and Abby would cooperate uh, at the Omni show. Now, I, I know he talks like that's the main event, and we'll we'll get into that from there, but I just wanted to get your take on what I just covered. Uh, yeah, because I've got to, to go oh, yeah. off on. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't, you can't save it for about in the next minute or so. <laughs> okay, but uh, hey, if, if he was the only one and Jim Barnett felt good with it, hey, who am I to question Jim Barnett? Buckles, my boy. I love it. <laughs> you could now that part of the story i believe i believe he called him buckles so oh was, yeah that was a nice little uh barnett invitation it, too. Was, it, was, it was always fun everybody's got the same same uh my boy mean gene busted that out in a 93 promo i was watching one day and i just i had to laugh because he was talking about james e Cornette, and he goes oh my boy and i'm sure nobody got it then but you know in hindsight i did and i i had to laugh <laughs> oh my boy so uh, we go on, and I, I know you got some things to say here, and I, I can as well, but I want to hear you. It's going to be fun, but we're going to go on. We're going to touch on these things one thing at a time. So if Buck had it his way, it sounds like he would have tried to turn the Georgia territory into a blood territory. Bruiser Brody, Abdullah the Butcher, Buck Robley on top, which is odd after a few months of great stuff that he'd been booking with the Freebirds, JYD, Ted DiBiase, Tommy Rich. Though we do know that red does make green, if you know what I mean. In the months to come, we're going to see Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer going at it. <laughs> I'm just speechless on that last part because he had booked an entirely different May 31st show. Right. And he says he knew he was going to change the card. And we're going to get to that world title match in a minute if that's where you're getting at. Right. That, that's where I was going. That's, okay. that's part of it. Well, but, we can go there now. I, we, we don't have to okay, structure I mean, this thing. Go, go for it. The, he had the show booked, said what it was going to be. Might even have been two weeks out, they announced it. With, it was, no, uh, the, no, it was two weeks between the shows. 23rd. So. The 23rd. Right. So the 23rd, he has, he has it set. You, Steel you're Cage. Having now, yeah, Steel Cage, man. Rich and DiBiase against the Freebirds. In the big blow off, you and you know this is it because you had that match, and then you got the JYD Michael Hayes dog collar match, which you know has to be looking back from perspective now was probably going to be the end of that feud. But you know, without and, saying without saying as much, it does seem like under the right circumstances, maybe if he got his way uh, creatively, Robley might have stayed here if they'd caved in and allowed him to become an irregular on air character. And I, maybe he, you know, he, he had that in mind too. It, it's very possible. It's why he did it. Hoping everybody, well, what do they say? Um, scorched earth in a, in a manner. <laughs> sure. You know, if I'm, I'm going to try this to keep myself around. And if it doesn't work, I'm taking the whole thing down with me. Oh, it does. It does seem that way. It's like, well, you know, uh, I'm leaving. So I'm just going to, you know, change all this around here. None of nothing makes sense. And, you know, I don't really care on the way out and have Brody and Abby, you know, tear the house down. But you couldn't trick but the cowboy or Jim Barnett in this instance. Somebody now I don't have this. This is not in the Robley interview. But you when you see the changes and they realize they have to alter some things. What do they do? Somebody, Jim Barnett, Bill Watts, Eddie Graham, Jim Crockett, somebody talks to somebody and they get a world title match down there as fast as possible to fix this show. Yeah, exactly. You got the big rematch between Rich and Harley Race. And that explains why other things were changed. 
because they had to fix this card because Robley was trying to walk into the Omni doing Abby and Brody on top when Abby wasn't even in the fucking territory until that, I mean, that, people that show. Know, people know who Abby is. I'm not this saying they didn't no know doubt. that, but there was no build whatsoever. This is no, like, they, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. He, he's saying we're going to advertise it the day before and we're going to up ticket sales. No, that's not why they up ticket sales. They up ticket sales because out of nowhere, you got an NWA world title match. Give it to him. Where you just had Tommy Rich win the belt, lose it back, and you knew the momentum was right there that if you're doing the last-minute ticket sales, hey, you got a good shot that Tommy Rich is taking the belt back in Atlanta. This, this time, this it's going to happen in, in, in Atlanta. Atlanta. It's, right. It's, it's the home field advantage. you got to have to be convinced if you're buying that last-minute ticket sales. People weren't going to go see. Yes, Brody was considered a nut, and he was probably doing exactly what Buck was telling him. We know Brody and Buck were tight. Right. But that was in passing, more or less. I mean, Brody did an interview on it, but I would have been sold about Abby and, and Brody going to see it the next night. That that wouldn't be what dragged me there. Now, what might have dragged me there, if you don't have the world title matches, out of nowhere, here's Ole Anderson saying him and Gene are going to teach the Freebirds a lesson yeah. in a steel cage. Because people, sometimes they like to see that heel versus, especially, you know, when you get the badass heels versus the, the pretty boy Michael Hayes and his guys. So I get what you're saying there, but let's not forget, it's kind of been overlooked too, and it wasn't changed. That entire storyline with Michael Hayes and the dog, the blow off there with the dog collar match. So there's a lot of things that could have sold this house besides just Abby and, and Brody. Right. And they, they didn't actually push that hard enough. No, not at all. Especially well, that on, on the last week. show. No, not at all. No, I agree with you 100%. Well, so. which, which, which is why, I, I mean, I'm very surprised to hear that he actually ran that show and that Watts was brought in for that TV, TV on, the, right. on the 31st. Because of, of all the changes that were occurring. Right. Yeah. So I think it was just like a, a placeholder. They needed somebody to come in. Robley wasn't allowed on TV. They didn't trust him because he probably put himself on TV and God knows what he'd do from there. So they didn't want him anywhere near the television studio, which I get. So, but they did, you know, he was finishing, supposed to finish up at the Omni. Now there's no contracts in wrestling back then, really. It's certainly not with a booker, but I, I'm sure they didn't have to let Brody into the building, but, or excuse me, but Robley into the building but they probably didn't want to piss Brody off and they probably didn't want to piss Abby off. They were booked and announced and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know how much say Robley had over the entire card. Cause all he talks about, and you're going to hear this in our last soundbite in a minute is really booking that Abby and, and Brody match because in his mind, that was his main event. And I guess we're, we're going to play that right now and then we'll finish up talking about all this. So here we go. Buck Robley talks running the Omni card and his main event of Abdullah, the butcher versus bruiser Brody. So the Omni, I think they give me credit for $85,000, $87,000 house. Tremendous house. Of course, what happened, I never let the match get in the ring, if you want to know the finish. I had them, as they come out of the dressing room, I had them meet and work their way to the ring. Blood was spilling. It was up one aisle, down the other aisle, tore the place up. And so we left. And Barnett paid well. He sent me a couple of watches. He come down to uh, to St. Louis or to San Antonio, wanted to me to come back, and I said no. And he gave my wife and me a, a, a watch, some extra money, different things, trying to get me to say please to come back. But that time they already put George Scott in charge, I think, or maybe only come back. I can't remember who. 
Well, we could now visualize how the Bruiser Brody Abbey match played out at the Omni. Pretty much exactly what we suspected, Jamie. And pretty much the same match that you saw live at that indie show you were talking about last week. So, yeah, right. Uh, Bloodbath, exactly. Yeah, yeah, up and down the aisles. Uh, somewhere near Jamie Ward. And so, uh, Robley claiming here a big gate of 85,000, maybe. I'm not sure what the average Omni cards were doing back then for big gates. That sounds a little high to me. But let's remember, he keeps ignoring or doesn't really remember it was Rich's world title rematch versus Harley Race headlining the show. We talked about some of the other undercard, if you want to call them undercard match, semi-main events. Uh, but I don't, I don't dabble in the financial end much when I do research, so I have no idea if the gate was correct. But the show was so successful, according to Robley, that Barnett comes down to San Antonio, gives Buck Robley and his wife some watches, offers them a little more money to come back to Georgia, but George Scott already in place, and Robley says he was just happy where he was down in Southwest. Maybe he went down there and thanked him for his service. But after hearing all this stuff, I, I can't believe he he begged Buck to come back, especially when Scott was already in place. He hadn't done anything wrong to even get canned. Right. And I, I mean, it, it, it's not like George Scott went out there and, and did a uh, blade job on somebody like Buck did the week before. Now, maybe that's just the way Buck wanted everyone to remember, you know, remember the, the scenario. So the Cowboy ran the TV the day before. Right. So I'm going to guess the Cowboy's responsible for Austin Idol showing up and Wahoo McDaniel showing up. You think or Cowboy was, made the call that week? I mean, you know, that's just an NWA thing. Remember, whenever a territory got in trouble, they made some phone calls and they made things happen. So I can't really pinpoint who was, you know responsible for doing that. Maybe Jim Barnett simply made the call. I need, I need, you know, I need some guys that are available. Hey, you know, calls up a territory. I need a couple guys and off they go down to cable TV for, for the weekend. And that explains why they're, you know, not on the uh, Omni card either. I mean, even Oli shows up for that show. Right. Yeah. That, Oli, that, Oli's that in TV town. Show. So, so you're probably onto something there. Barnett, Barnett knowing he's not going to have Buck there makes the phone calls and get all this different talent, uh, row up the troops, you know, type thing. Right. And then you get, get to the Omni. All right. Hey, Buck, can you tell me what the whole Bruce, Bruce Reed, Brody lights out <laughs> match was? How was a lights out match less important than Brody and Abby? Yeah. And you, we, like we talked about, I, did, I, it, I mean, did it even happen? Was that where he talked about, he knew things were going to change? I, I don't know because that Reed stuff wasn't really set up till they announced the Abby match. No. And, and you know, they brought him in as a, as a Superman. I, it's, I, I, I'm confused. Now, you, you just took me into a, an entirely different area, which I did not know was coming. Oh, this okay. whole time, I'm thinking, you know, the cowboy was in charge with with Robley helping him. But well, now we're finding out it's really Robley was in charge all the time with the cowboy helping Robley. Well, I had always heard that Robley was the the booker here. So when you say Bill Watts influence, I and I, I know you, you know, we would talk about Bill probably giving some advice, and I believe that was very possible. Not to Robley, but maybe to some of the talent, because Bill was probably no doubt keeping an eye on what was going on down there in Georgia and certainly getting an earful on the phone as well. So I'm sure the Cowboy kept close eyes there because, according to Robley, uh, Bill wanted to make sure that Robley stayed off TV. In Robley's mind, it was because he would get so over, he'd be like Hulk Hogan, and, and Bill didn't want that for some reason. So maybe more realistically, he didn't want to kill, kill the town with Robley on top. But um, I, I don't know what Buck would have done, or Buckles would have done had he actually been on TV from the get-go, but you saw what he did in one week's time. He attacks 
their Hulk Hogan, for lack of a better term, Tommy Rich at the at the, at the time. So it's right. uh, I thought we would have more answers here, but you seemed uh, even more puzzled than, than ever before. I do apologize for that. I, I thought, you know, we were able to pan out some things and some things made sense. Some other things probably a little embellished, no doubt. Um, I believe he probably did get some watches. Seems like a weird thing to make up. You, you know, Barnett handing him some watches probably did as a thank you. And, and he did have some great storylines and some great houses during that period with the birds and the dog, DiBiase, Tommy Rich. I, how can you not? Uh, the storylines just really enhanced what was already there, which was great level talent. I mean, he's the booker at the time when I first get to start watching TBS. So if TBS is just coming into my area, you know, out, outside of Philadelphia, right? how many other cable systems were picking it up at this time? Yes, they already had the cable penetration in 79 and 80, but 81 seems to be the time where cable really starts to take off in yeah, the United yeah. States. I mean, I understand there's some, some places in New York didn't get it until the 90s. All, all around the is, United States. You're right. Right. It's taking off. So for a lot of people like myself, now I'm finding out here, I thought it was the cowboy for years and years and years, that Buck Robley was the man that was pulling the, the, the Freebirds and, and DiBiase and, and bringing Dusty in. And, well, know, I don't know that he was bringing Dusty in. Remember, he, was, he had, he had well, guys forced upon him, too. Maybe Dusty was another one of those guys. I, I don't you're, know about right. that one. Dusty does disappear basically after that Carson stuff. We don't see Dusty again till June. Because Robley, and, I don't know if I, I had it in one of those sound bites. I may I, I may have edited it out because again I tried to you know time restraints. I tried to edit out what I figured wasn't really important to the conversation we were having. But there was a point there when he was going on about Ric Flair that he makes it very clear that they were trying Crockett. They being Crockett specifically were trying to force talent upon him to put over on his on his promotion in Georgia that, you know, he had his own guys. He didn't want Ric Flair and it was nothing against, he wasn't attacking Ric Flair. It was just, why are you sending these people down here? I already have my own talent. I need to work with. And and maybe he, you know, Dusty was another one of those. I don't know. Don't forget. We just uh, remarked about this. I don't know if it was last show, the show before somebody was doing an interview talking about all the people going after the NWA title and Dusty was left out of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. His name was not mentioned. so maybe Dusty and uh, Robley never really got along behind the scenes also. Of course, money cures all. Sure. Ill. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, he could have been too unhappy with Dusty, you know, whatever. They, they, they tripled. If the if the money is correct, they basically tripled the, the Dusty and Carson tripled the last gate that Robert Fuller drew prior to that. And that's just Dusty and Don Carson, you know, a couple of comments made by, a, by this point, a manager stepping in the ring with that bull rope match with Dusty Rhodes. I mean, you're talking about a blade job, a couple of bumps, uh, some flip-flop and fly. I'm sure the fans had a fun time, but I mean to, you know, bring up the crowd just that much, just on the name of Dusty Rhodes and, you know, a hated manager, you'd think, you know, he would be happy having the dream in there, but I also get the point of, if I'm not going to have him here close to every week, I just, I don't want to deal with it. Right, okay. So let's let's go back a little bit again. Okay. I'm going with the the eye test here. I'm, I'm going to say Fuller is done by the end of February. And then Robley takes over in the beginning of March when we get the Tommy Rich return. It's very, um, I believe I, you know, I don't remember when it was in February. It was, it was because somewhere Fuller near the hangs end. around through April doing like, some shots here and there. Yeah. You but can tell, you can tell immediately circuit of March. Right. But you can tell immediately when Fuller is no longer the booker, things change specifically Fuller. Uh, it's his TV time. 
Right, it became non non-existent. Yeah, and and that was in the beginning of March. So the day Tommy Rich comes back, I don't think we ever see Ron Fuller again. Uh, Robert Fuller. No, I, I recall at some point we saw he he's out there once uh, for like a, an interview, and it's just a generic interview. It's not going after anybody of any merit. I just I do remember that, but I don't remember what week it was. It was a couple weeks after the fact that he'd already been kind of phased out. But other than that, he wasn't on TV at all. But he was just working, like you said, random house shows. Right, exactly. So, hey, Robley had, in retrospect, had a great run for three months. He did. He did. I, I You know, we've been putting it over every week. It's amazing stuff. So I'm not questioning that. Just like, I, you know, I wasn't questioning the booking he was doing in the Mid-South. You know, story goes, he's the one that got the dog over. Dog, uh, you know, debuts out there coming to the ring with a uh, wheelbarrow of junk kind of Sanford and Son-esque. Uh, they change the character up a little bit, fine-tune it, and he's just over like Rover, uh, no pun intended. Mm. But the dog gets over, and you know this, the rest is history with the Freebirds and whatnot. But Robley had a big hand in all of that because he was like dog's partner and things. Yeah, see, I had no idea. Booker's is probably one of my weaker things until we get moving on in time. But you know, going back in time, I don't know who booked here or there. Oh, you got to give yourself except, credit, Jamie, because you've name dropped some at times where I'm like, Oh, they were because <laughs> I, I, it's hard I, to memorize that when there's so many different territories and so many, yeah, different well, I mean, parts. And, and, you know, being a, um, how do I word it? Like a student of the game. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm far from the end all smart fan. I'm far from that. But, you know, since I got involved in the sheets in like 81 and 82, right. the behind the scenes stuff was always my kind of thing. And trying to keep that knowledge up in the brain for, you know, years later when I would meet Ray Russell and we were going to do a podcast together and <laughs> shoot this shit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. You know, I've had a ride on around up there for all these years. There, there, there's a lot of stupid stuff that is that is stuck in his mind and will come out every now and then. Yeah, it just, it bothered me, you know, all of these episodes, we've done so much, you know, hi- hypothesizing. I hate to keep using that word, but that's basically what we've been doing. And it goes, you know, back to when Fuller left. We knew, we pretty much knew why Fuller left. That's pretty much been a given. Uh, so many people have said the houses were the shits, basically, when Robert Fuller was booking there. At least, you know, the last duration of, of his run obviously forced out pretty fast. But the Buck Robley run, how did George Scott come about? Uh, all of that stuff, the world title changes. There's been so much talk of that. You you know as much as well as I have for decades. So I know not everybody's going to listen to this podcast, and I know the people that do. Not even all of them are going to take our word, our, our last you know end result of what we think uh, you know went down here. But I hope they you know there's enough information now with this episode that people can put some pieces together themselves and maybe form a better opinion. Because as I said with that uh, William Lind who wrote in. Uh, those emails was I appreciate people wanting to help us find the facts or the truths, if you will, because there are tons of narratives that have been out there for decades and people still buy them today, even though there's enough information out there today that you can point that it's not true. Now, this is a little more hard to come by in in this situation, but still, hopefully, you know, we've opened up some eyes and people say, oh, so it wasn't exactly like that. Yeah. I mean, that's how I'm, taking things in right now that things weren't the way I thought they were. And as I was saying earlier on, I love coming on with you and doing this because I learn stuff all the time that I didn't know before. Yeah. It's always a fun time. And and it's great to have people like William Lynn uh, passing their knowledge 
onto us. I've never heard Williams' name in the smart fan circles before. Right. So it, it's it's great to hear so, a different voice yes. for a change and instead of the same people, the same names I've been reading in all the newsletters since the early 80s. It, it, it's nice to hear another name uh, get involved. And Lots of people coming out of their set of street. Week That's after awesome. week, with every passing episode that we do, or me and Roman do, or, or me and Bob Roop are doing, I'm getting more and more feedback, not on just how the show is, but more specifically, hey, I was here for this, and this is what happened. This was the finish. You guys, did, you know, we didn't know the finish. We didn't see the match, or so-and-so did this, or this and that, or this is actually why this happened, or this happened in my city, and it happened differently over here. And it's really cool because all these people who are not what you, you know, what, like you were saying, the, the common smart fans that we see the names all the time, like John McAdam or, uh, you know, fill in the so many different people. Jamie Ward. How about that? So, uh, yeah, to get other people. And there's tons of them, especially, you know, I've been trying to do research on Los Angeles and I'm getting so many people telling me all these L.A. memories and they're just random fans. You know, not, not, they're not the, these guys that have been sticking around studying the dirt sheets and things for decades. They're just people that used to go to the shows or watch TV every week. And I love getting all that because it's in, it's, it's in their memory banks. It's fresh. You know, they didn't sit here and study 40 different territories to the point where some of the stuff's bumped out. That's all they have. And it, I love it. I love it, too. That's, that's the best way I can put it. The, the, the more knowledge I can gain from people that know more than me, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, after I did the WWF, territory with John McAdam and talked about the late sixties, early seventies with Kerry Silken. I got so much, uh, you know, people, the topic telling me all these memories from the late sixties, early seventies. And, and, the, and from the time period I did with John in 77, that it was overwhelming to the point where I was like, I can't, my mind can't even absorb all of these memories and stories. And I was like, Oh my God, what I could do if I, if I had a team behind me to just sit here and sift through all of this, and let's get it all out there. So hopefully someday we'll be able to do that. Yeah, and you get people, the more people that can throw their knowledge out, this stuff isn't forgotten because when somebody leaves this earth, that knowledge goes with them and there might That's not right. be anybody else that remembers this stuff. That's right. Well, Jamie, I guess now's as good as time as any. We're going to wrap things up here this week a little shorter than usual, but that's okay, guys, because I hope there was enough knowledge. Hey, they say quality is better than quantity. And so we're about an hour and 20 into the show, hour and a half almost. So I just, you know, I think it's time to wrap it up, but I wanted to get this out there, a special episode talking about the bookers that we've encountered here in Georgia up until now. Of course, we know George Scott going to have a short tenure here in the summer before Ole takes over, and he's going to have the book all the way to the end. Yeah. You know what? Let me ask you another question. I'm sure. going to have to go find and watch these interviews. Yeah. But did Rowley happen to mention anything about the Ted DiBiase push? And, and for, you know, the, the story always was DiBiase was – the one that was supposed to get the NWA belt. Right. Uh, but Fuller kind of squashed that, you know, put him behind him. Was it back again when Robley got the book? Was was it back on target for him to take the title or was the damage done by Fuller and it was too late to recover from it? I did not hear him mention that in the interviews that I listened to. It could be in there somewhere. I have heard other people say that. We, we both have. I've heard Ted DiBiase say that, and DiBiase said a lot of things, um, but he never really comes off as somebody that like needs to go overboard with the stories either. And the way he tells it, he's not really talking highly of himself. He's just saying Jim Barnett brought me in. He told me, you know, they were gonna, you know, groom me for a world title run. That's what I was told when I came in. 
The book changed immediately to Robert Fuller. I didn't like his booking style. He put me in a tag team with him. That's where I was forced to stay. And uh, that's basically where Ted ends the story usually. He doesn't really go on into all this other stuff with Robley booking and George Scott and things. But DiBiase, if you want to you know, listen to him, he confirms the story. And again, he's not really trying to put himself over when he's doing it. He's just more like, man, I had my shot and this guy didn't let me have it. As we were just talking, maybe there's somebody out there in the regional wrestling universe. Yes, I'll use that word again. The universe. Th- that actually knows the answer to this and has been sitting on it the whole time and can let us know exactly what the real story was, whether that push was just totally forgotten about with him going for the NWA title because the golden boy, Tommy rich came back in or what the exact deal was. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I would like to hear from him as well. Of course, you guys know I'm on Twitter at wrestling grenade or X as they call it. Now me and Jamie are both on Facebook. Well, Jamie, you're on freaking Twitter. Yeah. Too. What am I'm I talking about? I, I just, I'm Jamie just used to talking work. to you on Facebook, I guess, is what, what it was. Well, I don't have a big uh, Twitter following. I'm not on there too much. I basically just repost what everybody else does on there. But I am on there at Jamie Ward. If uh, anyone wants to shoot me any questions or any criticisms, or you want to rip me to shreds, I'm there. <laughs> and Jamie's also on Facebook, as am I, at facebook.com slash wrestling grenade. So, yeah, guys, hit us up. Uh, don't forget, uh, you know, We want to hear from you. We want to know how you think we're doing. If you have any questions that we're not covering from this time period, shoot them to us. We'll do our best to try to answer them for you or to cover the topic. But, Jamie, I guess it's time to wrap things up this week. Do you want to do your usual shout-outs? If anyone has the opportunity, uh, please check out the Other Ship podcast with Michael Herrick, Chris Spiker, Drew Samuels, and William Merriweather. Uh, Not only do they talk wrestling, of course, but they talk a bunch of other subjects, uh, and I believe during the month of December, they may even talk Christmas shows. Ooh. Hey, I might be on the other ship for those. I volunteered if they if they want me on. I grew up watching all those Christmas uh, oh, Christmas cartoons, more along those lines. Oh, uh, there's tons of great stuff out there. The, the, the old school stuff. Absolutely. And, and a matter of fact, next week, the other ship is sucking me back up again. Wow. And uh, we'll, we'll be discussing the upcoming uh, Survivor Series. So if you, if you get the opportunity, please check out my buddies on, on the other ship. You'll be entertained for a solid hour to two hours, and uh, you'll definitely have a smile on your face by the time the podcast is over. And Jamie, um, I believe you have a buddy by the name of Barry Rose. He's got something big going on in the early part of next year. Do you want to tell anybody about that one? Yes, uh, Barry Rose, as many of you know, used to run the CWF Legends Fan Fest down in Tampa each year. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he's changed it up just slightly because, to be honest, there's not many old-time Florida wrestlers left, and it, right. it's really sad. But Barry uh, found a new partner for a new venture, uh, Captain Nick Massey out of New York. They will be holding the first-ever Glory Days GrappleCon. In Orlando, Florida, and I believe that is on Saturday, April 20th. Exactly. And I'll be there. Ray will be there. Mm -hmm. And uh, all our guys from the uh, other ship, uh, they've already announced that they're going to have Missy Hyatt will be appearing. Ooh. I've got some Missy Hyatt stories for another (laughs) day. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? (laughs) Um, Jack uh, Victory, high spot. Secret Service Jack Victory. The one-man gang. Will be there. I prefer Akeem. And, and I saw <laughs> Akeem the African Dream. That was great, but that's that was funny. 
it, it was insulting, but it was funny. Um, <laughs> Mad Maxine will make an appearance, and oh, I just so found awesome. out. I just found out today the mm-hmm. Latin lover, Al Perez. Oh, the Latin heartthrob, Al Perez. There. Latin absolutely. heartthrob. There you go. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, you don't hear tell of him, you know, coming to shows that often like that. So that's very cool. And me and Roman have been covering Lady Maxine, Mad Maxine, over on the UWF show uh, recently. So that is so timely for me. Uh, mark out moment right there. Uh, and then Al Perez. Wow, that, you know, you don't hear a lot of people going, oh, I was an Al Perez fan when they were a kid. He was just kind of there. But I was a gigantic Al Perez fan. I was so mad that his times in Crockett would, you know, end abruptly. His time in the WWF barely existed. Uh, when he popped up at the beginning of Global, I was like, this is it. This is his moment. He's going to he's gonna finally break out. Because I'm a kid. You know, I'm like 12. I, I'm thinking Global's about to be the next big, you know, promotion to compete. And uh, especially with all that talent that was coming in there at the beginning. But he was one of the top talents they were using for that, that main title. So I was like, so, you know, pumped for it. And then he was gone just as quickly as he, he got there. So, yeah, I, I'm very excited and, for that. And this weekend isn't just, uh, for those that have been to other fan fests, it, isn't a um, what do they call it? A, a, a cattle call, right? Where that's very call- important. Please, yeah, make sure you get that over, Jamie. This is yeah, not you, a cattle call. You're not just standing in line to you, get you're an not autograph paying twenty bucks to get a picture with somebody, right? Barry hasn't put out what the prices are yet, but it's usually a one price thing. You walk around, you get pictures, you get to talk to them because this is while it's a big event. It's a more intimate event, and you're not dealing with thousands of people. They usually cap it off. I'm not going to make – I don't know what they're going to cap it off this so, time. I mean, but everybody wants to make that- sure they, they cover their expenses. I, I, you know, I get that, but I love that they cap it off to, to a degree to where yes. you, have, you get your time with meeting these people. You actually get to speak with these people and, and spend some time around you know, some of these. Uh, and not only that, they will – Based off of what has happened at the CWF Fan Fest and what Barry has told me they were hoping to do, they'll have it'll start like at ten o'clock in the morning where they'll have one or two of the uh, the wrestlers in a special uh, cup of coffee, cup of coffee with Missy Hyatt and Irish Mr. coffee, <laughs> Kelly coffee, <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo Bill coffee, something like that. <laughs> As long as it's spiked, I could really give a damn less. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they have the cup of coffee segment to start off with, you know, some one of the wrestlers, and then they usually move into the show, uh, which usually lasts three or four hours. They'll have vendors there selling wrestling figures, magazines, books, uh, all kind of great stuff, and then they usually have a dinner with the uh, wrestlers where. One or two of them will stand up and they'll talk, uh, and you'll be able to ask questions while everyone's, you know, having dinner. And the, the dinners in the past have been uh, roast pork or uh, roast chicken, uh, beef. It's, it's usually a really good meal. And then after that, they usually have another one where it's like uh, the, the after party with someone. Like the last one I was at was an after party with Gary Michael Capetta, which he talked about his entire career and all that is usually for one price they'll, they'll have the mega ticket which will include everything or you can get a ticket where you just go to the grapple uh thon itself and plus friday night at the hotel uh an independent group from florida will hold a show especially for the fans that are attending the fan fest and this just in jamie 
At the end of both nights, Ray Russell's going to do his best Ric Flair impersonation, and he'll be at the bar. I didn't even get to that part, so that's even better. <laughs> no, you're going to do your Ric Flair. But it doesn't end there, because usually everything's over by 8 o'clock. And now, in Tampa, we went across the parking lot to a bar. But at this hotel that we're at, which, Ray, I'm sure you know the name. It's escaping me. At the Oh, the Rosen. The Rosen. Yes, very famous hotel. Center. In, yeah, it's in a center. A, it's not really just a hotel. There's a lot of things in there. They got two or three restaurants, two or three bars. So we won't even have to leave the building. We'll just go to the bar. We'll get some dinner and just have a great time to the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, what I save on Uber, I will spend on alcohol. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> so it's going to be a fun time, guys. Uh, hopefully you guys can join us there for the GrappleCon. That's the Glory Days uh, GrappleCon. And, and, I'm, and the, the biggest star of them all, my wife will be making her fan fest debut she's going to come along with me on this one uh she normally stays away from my wrestling habits but oh mine does uh, too and I, i'm dragging it, her along she, as well it must be just you know like, florida <laughs> and, and we're well and, and also the fact that we're going to do a couple days in universal studios sounds like a good time after the fan fest so yeah, lots of lots to do around there sea world all kinds of good things going on so and, uh, and barry tries to make it and captain nick i don't want to forget captain nick don't make it as as affordable as possible for everyone. Absolutely. They, hey, everybody wants to make a buck, but they don't want to make it so expensive that nobody can go. Right. And that's the you know the best thing about this. So uh, looking forward to it. Again, April 20th, guys, check it out. April 19th is actually the, the night of the independent show Jamie was talking about. But uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Jamie, I want to thank you so much for joining me again this week. Had a lot of fun talking about the booking here in Georgia in the first half of 1981. When we come back next time, guys, we're going to kick off the month of June television, uh, June, well, June house shows actually into the TV. And uh, yeah, George Scott will be the booker when we return here in the month of June. But it would have been Buck Robley if he could have just kept his house shut. Yes. If he could have done a few things a little differently, maybe, maybe we would have seen some pretty damn good storylines continue, but it is what it is. And it's already done and over with. And we know a lot of good things are coming. So I look forward to those. And, Jamie, I want to thank you again for being here, man. Uh, my pleasure. I always love being on here, Ray. All right, guys, that will wrap it up here this week. I want to thank Jamie once again. I want to thank you guys for listening to this special episode of Regional Wrestling. Going to be back soon. Jamie going to be back to talk more Georgia 1981. Roman back with more UWF 86. And, hey, don't forget the Memphis 85 project right around the corner as well. Until then, this is Ray Russell. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. It's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more regional wrestling, where we talk the territories. Mm-hmm.